0: In case you missed it, my book, Anatomy of Abundance, hit the market and it is officially an Amazon bestseller. We couldn't have done it without your help. Thank you for being here and supporting me. If you haven't picked up your copy, pick it up today. Learn how to transcend the limits of scarcity and rewrite your life's narrative, transforming it into a story of boundless prosperity and fulfillment with Anatomy of Abundance. Join renowned author Petrina Wisdom and 16 Brilliant Minds on a Transformative Journey. Discover awe-inspiring narratives and empowering strategies to attain abundance in relationships, career, health, and wealth. Every purchase breathes life into a remarkable cause, donating book proceeds to the Shine organization. Shine organization empowers sex trafficking survivors to break free from scarcity, fear, and past traumas, and boldly create their own unique path to abundance through entrepreneurship. Buy your copy today. You're listening to Fuck Being Stuck, the podcast where we spotlight women who've gone from managing to mastering life's challenges and the badass practitioners that are changing the way we heal. I'm Dr. Sabrina Nicole, psychologist, coach, author, and speaker. But more importantly, I'm a woman who had my own journey to mastering chronic pain. You don't need to be stuck anymore. Fuck that. Hey there, everyone. I'm so excited you're joining me today. Today's episode is all about treatment trauma, harm reduction, and somatic approaches to healing in eating disorder and addiction recovery. And my guest today is Sandy James. She's an Australian registered psychologist with more than 15 years working in mental health, eating disorder, and addiction treatment. Her primary interest is in trauma recovery, with a particular focus on co occurring presentations, including substance use and eating disorders. With lived experience of both, she finds purpose and meaning in working with others to find their path and is a strong advocate for effective and individualized care for all people who need it. She's particularly interested in somatic therapies alongside language use and the power of words to heal or harm. With treatment trauma impacting so many people, we need to be better and do better. We need to be more aware and work with compassion, be able to repair and apologize when something causes harm. And we need to be able to be vulnerable and use our words to help others heal and find their strength and courage to heal from what has happened and move into their own life, living a values-driven life. Welcome. I'm so happy to have you here, Sandy. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Yeah. Other side of the world. I know. So Sandy is in Australia right now. (laughs) She's from Australia. And I think I found you on Instagram when I saw a surfing diving psychologist, I was immediately intrigued. I said, I need to meet her. I need to find out what she does, how she does it. This is like amazing. Talk about an unconventional way to heal, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah. I'm a water baby. So anything to do with the water is my, it's my medium, my material,
0: my home, I think. Yeah. And I think that it's nice when we can integrate like the personal side of us, things that we enjoy in the psychology, you know, with psychology and with all your lived experience as well, yeah. incorporating those into how we, we treat others and he- help others heal. Yeah, definitely. So tell us about your 15 year journey working in mental health. Uh, I
1: started as a school teacher back in the oh. day, and that did not really suit me. The structure and the rigidity of the education system, and then I became a psychologist, which is also fairly structured and rigid. But um, (laughs) the I did my I did my psychology studies. I got a full scholarship to study psychology when I was a teacher, so I became an educational site to start with, and then I moved into child and adolescent mental health, and within that I. started realising that I could work really effectively with people that had similar experiences to what I'd been through. And back then, we weren't allowed to talk about that stuff. Like you didn't disclose that you're a lived experience clinician, you didn't use any self-disclosure in your practice or your therapies. And that didn't sit well with me. And I sort of probably broke that rule quite a lot. Because I find that Sharing some of my experiences, not the war stories, but, you know, like some of Mm -hmm. the recovery journey is incredibly hopeful for people. And it gives them, you know, something to aim for almost, although I wouldn't want anyone to have my life because my life is crazy hectic right now. But it's also full of meaning and purpose and value. I love it.
0: Sure. And I think it's important, like psychologists are people too, you know, we're not robots, we're not machines, we're not, you know, disconnected. We have our own lived experience. And I think it's a beautiful Mm -hmm. thing when you can start to share some of that journey and that can help empower other people.
1: Yeah. And I think also like for those of us who are able to be out and loud about it, it gives others permission to do the same, right? So the more of us that talk about our own journeys, the more human we become. And you know, like, I don't know, when I was finding recovery, I didn't wanna I didn't want to sit in a room with someone that had just learnt shit from a textbook. Right? Because mm. I don't belong I'm not in a textbook. My my experiences don't exist inside of textbook and aren't gonna be healed through something that, you know, is written by an academic somewhere in a tall tower. So mm. and like on the flip side I'm now an academic as well. So <laughs> Go figure.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm about to start my PhD.
0: Wow. That's ambitious. For real, huh? <laughs> yeah. Don't yeah, have lots a lot of permanent,
1: permanent head damage. <laughs> <PhD>.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, because it's going to be a journey in itself.
1: Yeah. Right? So kind of the rest of that story. In 2014, I left Australia and I moved to Malaysia. Um, And I started working in treatment centres. So I helped set up a treatment centre in Malaysia. And, again, there were some challenges. Like my my ethics and my values are really high and I expect others to to do the same. I, I, I really believe in do no harm or try not to do any harm. And if you do harm, then correct it somehow. So I ended up working in the university in Malaysia. And then I went over to Thailand, set up a couple of treatment or help set up a couple of treatment centers over there with one of them specifically being for LGBTQ plus individuals struggling with behavioral disorders or behavioral addictions or substance use. So that was incredible. Thailand was also not really for me being a water baby living in Chiang Mai, where there is a lake called Hoi I was actually talking about it earlier to someone and it's just like a brown lake. And I'm like, yeah, no, this ain't going to cover it <laughs> that's, me, not <laughs> that's not the same. That's not the same. What the hell? <laughs> no. So back in Malaysia, I went back to, uh, and then COVID, blah, blah, blah. That's a whole nother story. But um, Malaysia was where I discovered scuba diving. And mm. the difference that that made to my life was dramatic. I like just, The the level of mindfulness and the body awareness and spatial awareness and even awareness of other people without language happens underwater. You have to be able to communicate with people through sign language and body language and eye contact and stuff like that. And just hanging out with fish and sharks and octopus and all that sort of stuff is, man, if I could work out a way to live there, that would be my preferred
0: residence. The modern world bombards our brains with an overwhelming amount of inputs and stressors. Our brains are struggling to adapt. A lack of brain balance means many of us are anxious, looking for energy in the wrong places, and struggling to get a good night's sleep. The solution is BrainTap. BrainTap combines a variety of proven methods that restore balance to your brain for optimal performance of mind and body. This technology communicates directly with your brain So, you don't have to do anything. Simply sit back, relax, and push play. Central to BrainTap technology is the concept of brainwave entrainment. The brain will naturally synchronize with external rhythms. And several modalities are used to accomplish this, including binaural beats, isochronic tones, guided visualization, 10 cycle holographic music. And with the BrainTap headset, you'll have the added benefit of light frequencies. The overall benefits of BrainTap include improved clarity, improved quality of sleep, and more energy. Start your brain fitness journey today with a 14-day free trial. Click on the link in the show notes. (laughs) I remember when I learned how to dive. I think I learned in Fiji and um, the body awareness thing. It takes a lot of effort (laughs) to be aware because we were like, bumping into each other I'm like okay and then managing you know the breathing you know like keeping your breathing easy and not too heavy using a your oxygen
1: yeah but you've also got to know like how much oxygen is in your lungs right like if you've got too yeah much you don't oxygen, realize your real capacity
0: exactly yes. and that was happening too that was happening too yep. and I, I think you know when you're on land you don't think you have like the lung capacity to like Hold your breath even during, like, a meditation. Like, when you do the breath work, oh, I can't hold my breath. And then you're underwater, you're holding your breath a lot longer than you would think, you know, and you're like, oh, wait, I'm capable yeah. of so much more, you know. But
1: also, like, I think we don't think about how much air. You know, like, when you're anxious, you, you shallow breathe. So there's always that
0: yes, you
1: know, that air that's in there. And if you're shallow breathing underwater, you ain't staying underwater, right? You've got to float yeah. to the top, so... Yeah, yeah, I I love it, but when I, I I ended up back here, um, I've been back in Australia just over a year now, and when I got back here, scuba diving here is way expensive and also not as good as Malaysia, so I was, oh, I've been a wow. bit spoiled. The water's also really cold here, so am I okay? How can I, what can I do? So, I am learning to surf, which is also
0: so hard. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I'll ever be ready for that. Mm, we'll see.
1: <laughs> I'll take I'll take you surfing. I discovered that you can surf near Boston. Really?
0: Mm. Yeah, I don't know about surfing. I mean, I could barely stand up on a paddleboard. <laughs> I, I really, you know, the stand up paddleboard was was a challenge, and then I finally mastered that. But I don't think a wave coming through is going to help me at mm. all.
1: <laughs> mm, it's fun. It's so much
0: fun. So tell me about when you were, you know, in recovery, like what kind of treatment options were there back then? What did you find? What did you discover? Uh,
1: And like back then, I so I'm 54 now. And I went in my I went had my first treatment episode when I was 19 for substance use. And it was all hardcore 12 step. So there was no alternative to that. I remember one of the One of the detoxes I went to, because I had numerous admissions, you weren't allowed to read anything other than the 12-step material. You weren't allowed to talk to the other patients. You you couldn't go off-site unless you were going to a 12-step meeting. Like, it was really hardcore. And I think when I was about 23 or 24, I ended up in a psych ward trying to get treatment for their eating disorder aspect and that was also really not helpful like it was an adult mm. locked psych ward there were six or seven of us with eating disorders and everyone else were adult like quite severe mental health conditions and mm. it was entertaining for me back then it distracted me and I didn't think about what I needed to do so Yeah, the face of treatment has changed a lot, but there's still a really long way to go.
0: Yeah, it sounds like, you know, the 12-step was very rigid, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. um, in the approach. So when did you notice a shift? Like what year did you notice a shift in the different types of treatment that were available?
1: Uh, Not until – I don't know if I actually really noticed until sort of – probably 2010s plus once I became a psychologist. I ended up getting clean. I found a medical professional that did some edgy experimental stuff. So um, I was on methadone and he used ketamine infusion to help me to withdraw from methadone. That was a crazy intense experience because I came off quite a high dose but Mm. that changed that just changed my life and and this doctor was a harm reduction practitioner he was interested in helping me to find what I wanted not what he thought I should want Mm. if that makes sense so just life-changing in that capacity and that was when I moved out of teaching (laughs) weirdly uh, and into psychology and and this kind of field because I got clean mainly. I got into recovery through doing sports, really, like mountain mm-hmm. bike riding. And I was living in the middle of Australia, like literally in the, on the edge of the desert. And again, no water, which, you know, go figure. Mountain bike riding was like the next best thing. There's adrenaline, mm-hmm. it's terrifying, it's exciting, and there's community. And that was where I found. Wow! I found that I had, there were other things that could bring me joy and peace outside of the things that were actually killing me in a lot of ways.
0: There's two things I want to go back to. You mentioned the ketamine infusions. I've been hearing a lot about ketamine as a treatment for um, people that have treatment resistant depression and different yep. things like that. What, is, what does that involve, the ketamine infusion?
1: The ketamine infusion that I had was very different to what they're doing these days. Okay. So, yeah, now it's more of a I think I'm not super aware but it's it's more of a shorter term the infusion that I had was more of a because that what I was going through was very painful blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. So I had I had it going in constantly to just help me get through that. So 10 days nonstop whereas okay. the way it's used now for uh depression and other conditions is it's a couple of hours each week over a period of time. Sure.
0: Wow. So it was very intense. Ten days stop? Yeah. Yeah. I wow. I
1: don't remember. I re- I remember everything that happened, but I don't have that emotional. Like it was. It would have mm-hmm. been impossible to do it without mm-hmm. that level of medical intervention. I think. Sure.
0: And then talk more about harm reduction. Harm reduction.
1: In the, I can't even remember exactly when, maybe around 2010, 2010, there was a safe injecting room established in Sydney, Australia here, and it's along the lines of, you know, giving people access to needles and methadone if they want it, or buprenorphine or whatever that looks like, and working with the person where they're at to help them to achieve what they want, right? So... If someone wants to use, then how can you do it more safely? How can you Mm. prevent bloodborne virus? How can you prevent overdose? How can you prevent losing people? Because we can't stop people using substances, right? It's going to happen. So if we're going to do it, how can that be done where we're not losing hundreds of people a week Mm. to overdose? And, yeah. So with with eating disorder treatment, it's, it's similar. The harm reduction is about working with people to reduce behaviours to improve their life. So it's about quality of life. And if you're not ready to enter full recovery, if you're not ready to give up everything, like all of your behaviours, then what can we work towards? Like if you want to make life better, what are the priorities and Mm -hmm. how can I help you get there?
0: Okay, it's more like setting smaller goals instead of like the ultimate, being totally free of all these behaviours. Okay
1: yeah and that was one of the things that got me with the twelve steps the twelve step program like it's super effective for many 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 people and I don't want to mm-hmm. i don't want to dissuade people from going to that type of program because it is it is really helpful for the, for a lot of people mm-hmm. there are some of us that it's not helpful for, and that's where harm reduction and stuff comes in because i That black and white thinking just never worked for me. Like if you tell me Mm. I can't do something, I'm going to do it (laughs) as much as I can as quickly as possible, right? So Mm -hmm. saying that, I don't know, like telling me I can't have a glass of wine with dinner, for example, never made sense to me. My drug of choice was quite specific and I didn't want to give up everything but there was no other Mm. options back then. It was either like you quit. Everything completely, or there was no in between with that.
0: Yeah, and what's like the recidivism rate? Like the rate to go back if if you're told you can't at all. Like how many people relapse and and go back?
1: Yeah, there's different bunch of different statistics on that, but it's it's pretty Mm -hmm. high. Relapse Mm -hmm. rates and recidivism is it's it's hard Mm -hmm. to recover from substance use, from eating disorders, from trauma that idea of recovery kind of being a lifelong process as well, because we don't know what's going to happen, you know, like COVID screwed so many of us in so many big ways. And I'm yeah, so many people relapsed and had recurrence of illness and recurrence of symptoms during that time. Sure. And
0: yeah. And recovery, it is not just the physical addiction, really. It's the strong mental, emotional It's connected to, you know, past trauma, which is why people are using. And like you said, it's a lifelong journey uh, to recover from that. And I
1: think that that's where some of the more evidence-based approaches let people down is because they address the symptoms. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, the symptoms need to be addressed, obviously. And we need to work with the cause of those symptoms, whatever that might be. So, You can't go into, if you've got a substance use disorder, you go into treatment and they talk about, like, you know, diet and exercise and healthy living and all that kind of stuff. And if you've got an eating disorder as well, then that can flip you into, you know, so there's a lot of juggling and vice versa. Mm. Like if you go into eating disorder treatment, they don't talk about substance use particularly in the majority of places. Mm. And I think that we need to find a way to work with whole people not just parts of them Mm -hmm. that's
0: beautiful so how do um the people that you work with respond to the the water do you usually get people that haven't been in the water had any experience in the water before working with you
1: i do you have to be able to swim though Mm -hmm. there has to be some level of comfort i guess in the water Mm -hmm. and but I have I have taken people diving with quite severe anxiety and the joy and the excitement when you actually get them in the water and, and under, yeah. it's outrageous. And taking that experience and generalizing it into like, if I can do that, I can do anything, right? Mm. And similarly with surfing, what I found was like, oh my God, I stood up. I am amazing, right? And I just, I want people to be able to experience some of the joy that comes with life, Mm. not just all the shit. Like you don't want to, recovery is not just about focusing on what the problems are because what Mm. are we recovering for if we're just going to stay stuck in that shit, right? Like it's, let's build a life worth living
0: Wow, so it's kind of like you're giving them some joy and probably freedom when you realize that you can stand on that board or go in that water. Mm-hmm. You just conquered a yeah. major hurdle.
1: <laughs> I think wow. as well, a lot of a lot of us with these kind of disorders, like I had to learn how to play.
0: You mm. know, like
1: how to how to have fun. I love now, like I've got skateboards, like I've got lots and lots of toys to entertain my brain. Like unicycles, you name it. <laughs> and I love that. Like laughter is so healing. And if mm-hmm. to, if you can teach someone a skill, it also builds that sense of connection to the body, to the mind, and to community. Because we don't heal in isolation either.
0: You're absolutely right. And so much there's so much time that people are suffering because they're they are isolated. They feel like they're isolated.
1: Yeah. isolated I'm different there's something wrong with me I'm broken I'll Mm -hmm. never recover like all of that kind of internal dialogue and being able to being able to do something that's difficult and challenging Mm -hmm. even if you only stand up for like a second you know there's not like I am I am not good at surfing like I've literally I've been learning for like four months but some days I I do really well. Other days I cannot get up for the life of me, and I don't care. It's awesome. Falling off is just as good as standing up, because <laughs> it's about being able to keep trying, right? Like you, you fall exactly. Off, you go, oh, shit, that was like whatever. Okay, I'm going to go back out and try again. I'm going to try again. I'm going to try again.
0: Yeah, so, that was me with the paddleboard. By the fifth yeah. time I fell off, I said, "There's no way I'm going to go through pulling myself up one more time. I got to figure this out." <laughs>
1: <laughs> I remember uh-huh. um, I'm fairly athletic, but the first time I ever rode, got on a stand-up paddle board, was in a race.
0: <laughs> oh, wait, <laughs> which was hilarious.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm one that tends to jump. If I'm doing it, I'm I'm doing it. So. I didn't mean to, that it just came about that I was doing this swimming event in uh, Labuan in in Malaysia and we were doing a cross-channel swim and part of the whole weekend festival they had a stand-up paddleboard race and someone said to me, oh, let's do that. I'm like, cool, okay, let's do it. Can I have a practice first because I have never been on a
0: paddleboard (laughs) before? (laughs) Oh, my. It was so fun. I love it. I love it. All right, you have me curious. I, I may have to. I may have to try. I may have to try something, something new.
1: <laughs> something new, yeah. Yeah. Something spicy. Bring a bit of chili in.
0: Yeah. Why not?
1: <laughs> Anything. You know,
0: it's all about the adventure. You know, embracing the adventure and the unpredictability, and it's yeah. still being okay. Like even if you fall.
1: Yes, one hundred percent. Particularly when you fall. 'Cause I, I like I, I was talking to someone earlier and I'm like, you know, I'm I look forward to being able to support you through the hundreds of mistakes that you're gonna make. Mm. Because without mistakes we don't learn. So if you don't fall, you don't know that you can stand back up.
0: Mm, I love that. So talk a little bit about, you know, uh just unconventional approaches to uh, working with people with eating disorders and addiction recovery I mean that introducing surfing and diving is a very unique take on it Um, what other techniques do you integrate into your work
1: a lot of nature-based stuff so Mm. I do a lot like I do walking like I walk with people because it's easier to talk rather than sitting in a stuffy office we'll go into the I was going to say the jungle but I don't think it's quite jungle here more like rainforest bits and pieces I don't know there's waterfalls and stuff like that okay yeah we'll go we can go there depending on like people with when you're recovering from an eating disorder medical stability is the priority right so once we've achieved Mm -hmm. that then we can start to introduce some of these other these other things so like riding those electric scooter things or riding the unicycle. So I did a circus arts program, a mindfulness-based circus arts program that we piloted in a school in Malaysia as well. I did a program as part of my, I think my postgrad grad psych, maybe when I did psychology. I did a circus arts program for young people that were disengaged from school and to see if we could get them re-engaged and the outcomes were really good so I was talking about that with some of my colleagues in Malaysia so we set up a program in one of the schools there and had similar outcomes with engaging community and parents in the school culture as well so the parents helped to build the equipment so building stilts for people to walk on or Making juggling balls, making costumes for them to wear, like for the young people to wear when they were performing, helping them to practice outside of school. So we did a lot of that as well. I've it's taken wonderful. people skateboarding. Ah, nice. I'll do anything. Oh, I love honestly. it. Honestly, <laughs> if someone has an idea about something they want to do, I'm I'm up to give it a go. <laughs> I
0: love it. I love it. Always outside the box, right?
1: Most of the time. Yeah. I actually, I went for a job interview yesterday. And when I got home, I emailed them and said, please withdraw my application. I don't think we're a very good fit. So Mm. yeah, I want to, I, and like, for me, that was, it's actually a really significant moment because being able to really quickly recognize, like, actually, no, this is not, this is not where I belong. This is not going to give me the freedom to be able to explore the, the things that I want to do. And the way they practice probably contraindicates what I'm researching for my PhD. So oh, I, okay. I wasn't sure. And it's just sure the alignment
0: wasn't there. So the alignment wasn't there. And that's important that you recognize that because many people would have, oh, it's a job. and But you realize that your freedom is much more important, and much more valuable than what they can pay you to it, be there.
1: The, the impact on my mood and my relationships and, mm-hmm. like, everything is just, it's not worth it for me. Mm. And I'm a psychologist, right, so my, my services are not 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 needed. I don't even know how to say that. Like, I I can get work mm-hmm. without too much hassle, so I don't need to work there. They need probably need me more than I need them. So, yeah, I'm really not interested for, in yeah. working for big organisations anymore. I don't want to do that. Okay fitting into a square is it round <laughs> into a square hole is that how it goes
0: yes I think that's the phrase right
1: <laughs> it's funny I get I'm a DBT therapist as well which uses uh, like mm-hmm. dialectical behavior therapy and they use a lot of acronyms for the I can never remember what the letters stand for <laughs> like it's crazy I'm like, as a DBT clinician I probably need to know that stuff but it doesn't matter how long I've been doing it I cannot hold that stuff in my brain. I don't think there's enough space up there.
0: <laughs> it's got more important things going on. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Creating stories and
1: I've got this incredible gate. I've just moved house and there's a gate right 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 down the back of our yard and I haven't been through it yet because I've created I've just not ready to go through the gate yet and it's like have you read The Enchanted Forest or The Magic Faraway Tree by Enid Blyton?
0: No. Oh,
1: uh, man, I highly recommend them. They're old. They're mm-hmm. fabulous stories. And I've created this whole scenario on the other side of the fence, and I'm like, I can't go through there now because it will ruin my fantasy of there being a magic garden <laughs> on the other side.
0: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's beautiful.
1: I might go through, but also like some of the other stuff that I do like I'm, I'm also a painter or I like an oh. artist's got some of my work behind me, so using expressive arts like writing, poetry, mm-hmm. painting what I like I think the thing is about finding what fits best for the person mm-hmm. to achieve their life, what they want sure. um, not for me to dictate any expectation or. You know, like, unless you do this, 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 then I'm not going to work with you anymore. I really don't like that part of the practice.
0: Mm -hmm. So it sounds like your work is very individualized. It's tailored to the needs of the individual, which I think is is wonderful, wonderful, wonderful approach. Well, Sandy, thank you so much. Any final words for the listeners? Reach out and find someone that fits for you, I think,
1: is, is the key. If you find someone that you are working with and it doesn't gel, just tell them and change because it's okay to do that. It's okay to say this is not working and I need something different.
0: Thank you so much. That's so important. And how can our listeners find you? Are you on – I believe you're on Instagram. Yeah, I'm on Instagram
1: um, Surfing underscore diving underscore psychologist. I'm also uh, Sandy in the world on Instagram. And my website is www.sandyjames.com.au. And Sandy is spelled with an I.
0: Yes. And that will be in the show notes. Yes. <laughs> that's, that information will be in the show notes just for that reason. All right, everyone. That's it for today. Please write us a review and share this episode with a friend. Thanks so much for tuning into Fuck Being Stuck, the podcast. Be sure to check out the show's notes for this episode on www.drsabrinanicole.com and follow us on social media. If you like this episode, make sure to subscribe and leave a review. We'll be back next week with more. See you then.